You are listening to the Mother Good Podcast, episode number 25. I'm your host, Emily Carney. We at Mother Good believe that there's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. Our content is judgment-free within the context of evidence-based research. This episode is sponsored by Sacred Blossom Living Herbal Teas. The leaves are grown on a small farm in Wisconsin and shipped straight to your door. When I first opened the box of tea I received from them, I couldn't believe how fresh the tea leaves looked and how wonderful it smelled, and the tea is also very delicious. I don't know about you, but one of my favorite ways to relax at the end of a long day chasing a toddler around is to sit down and sip a nice cup of hot tea. And in times like this, when it's hard to go grocery shopping or inventory is very limited or there's nothing on the shelves, it's so easy to have the tea shipped straight to your door. They have three flavors, Angel, Tiger, and Dream. Tiger has a caffeine-like substance that provides energy. Angel has a gentle, minty, and sweet flavor. And Dream is the most relaxing. It's a calming tea and also very tasty. So treat yourself during these strange times and order a box of fresh and delicious tea from Sacred Blossom Living Herbal Teas. You can use the code MOTHERGOOD for 15% off. Visit sacredblossomfarm.com to place your order, and again, use the code MOTHERGOOD for 15% off your order. This episode is also sponsored by Fruit of the Bean Coffee. If tea isn't your cup of tea, or you like tea and coffee like I do, you will really enjoy Fruit of the Bean freshly ground coffee that's shipped directly to your door. What's really special about their coffee is that it's not roasted until after it's ordered, so you really get that fresh taste with each cup of coffee. The company is also amazing because they love giving back by helping orphans and those affected by human trafficking, which is a really big passion of ours. And if you use the code MOTHERGOOD at checkout, you can receive a 25% discount. So if you want to avoid the grocery store during these very strange times, or if you just want to treat yourself to some specialty coffee, visit fruitofthebean.com and don't forget to use the promo code MOTHERGOOD for 25% off your order. Again, that's fruitofthebean.com and use the code MOTHERGOOD at checkout for 25% off your order of specialty coffee shipped directly to your door. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mother Good Podcast. If it's your first time joining us, thank you so much. And if you're a longtime listener, thank you so much as well. I'm so excited to share my conversation with Emily Stimson Chapman, who I've been following for a while on Instagram, and she is one of the most eloquent writers that I've come across online. She just has a way with words and communicating in general, and she always knows the right way to say something. I asked Emily to come on a few weeks ago to talk about her journey through motherhood since she got married later in life and also since she struggled with fertility and then ended up adopting her son. But then with the recent coronavirus situation, I thought that she would also be the perfect person to talk about hope since that's pretty much a theme with her motherhood story, her marriage story. And then now I think we can all use a little bit of hope in this weird and strange epidemic that we're now facing. As I mentioned, Emily got married later in life, so she shares her love story, which is absolutely beautiful, and I think you would really enjoy that. She also shares how she struggled with infertility and how she wrestled with that, and she eventually came to peace with that. And finally, she gives some tips through what she's learned through her other struggles in life and how to have hope amidst those other trials and how she's using what she's learned during those trials and applying it to the epidemic that we're now facing. I don't want to spoil the story or give anything away, so I'm just going to leave it at that and let you listen to Emily tell her story in her own words. So without further ado, here is my amazing conversation with Emily. Hi, Emily. Welcome to the show. Oh, 
thank you for having me here. Well, I'm so excited to have you on because I've followed you on Instagram for a while and you're just such a beautiful writer, a beautiful person. You have a beautiful life. I just love everything that you have to say. And I wanted to have you on specifically to talk about hope, especially amidst this pandemic, because I feel like your whole life story has involved some sort of hope. So before we dig into your story and hope, could you tell us about yourself? Sure. I am a writer, a wife, a mom. I live in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, I married late, so I didn't get married till I had just turned 41. And then two years later, after struggling with infertility, we adopted a beautiful baby boy. And we're now in the process of um, waiting for another adoption. So a lot of waiting, a lot of writing. <laughs> That's what I do. And what milestones have happened in your life to get you where you are today? Uh, you know, people always ask me, like, how did you become a writer? Or how did you decide that you wanted to do this? And I'm like, I didn't make a lot of decisions. Um, <laughs> I Right after college, I went and worked uh, on Capitol Hill. And I worked for a congressman, and then I worked at a think tank. And that was great preparation for writing. I think anyone who wants to be a writer should just go work in politics or um, in the you know some sort of nonprofit movement because you learn a lot more than you would learn doing a journalism degree, just about ideas and people and things like that. So I did that for several years. Uh, and then I had uh, a big conversion. And so I decided I wanted to leave uh, leave politics behind because I decided that wasn't going to change things. What really mattered was people's hearts and changing people's hearts. So I moved to Ohio and I began studying theology. And I some, I didn't want to take out a lot of debt, so I was just writing on the side to make some extra money. I had a blog, um, and I just kept getting more and more offers to write. So I started doing that and have never stopped. So I write full-time from home. Um, I do books. I do essays, journalism, you name it, I do it. Uh, and yeah, it's just, I don't know where all the time is gone. Because <laughs> I look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been a full-time freelance writer for 13 years now. And that's, yeah, I always say God kind of chose the door for me, kicked me through and shut the door behind me. He was like, all right, woman, write. This is what I need you to do. So that's what I do. I love that. And I love how your career just sort of found you instead of the other way around, because I, I feel like a lot of people kind of fret about what to do as a career and you, yours just kind of happened. So that's that's so great and encouraging. So could you tell us about your love story? I love reading about it online and everything you post and just think you're so eloquent about everything. And I know that there is a lot of hope involved in that too, and a lot of waiting so maybe you could just tell us about that and then also what your thought process was and how you got through that time. Yeah, you know, I jokingly always refer to it as a, a, a Spanish, it's like a Mexican soap opera. What do they call them? The telenovelas. That's my, that's my relationship with my <laughs> yeah. husband. Uh, you know, we, I was, we were, I was 30 when we met. He was 37. Uh, and we went on a few dates and I was like, yes, this is totally the man I want to marry. Lord, this guy is home. And my husband was like, oh, she's a really cool friend. So we we just, we just were friends. We were friends for nine years. Uh, we, did, we were not always talking through all nine of those years because the friendship was always a little ambiguous, a little datey. And one of us would be like, oh, we're spending too much time together for not dating. And we would stop spending time together. But then somehow we would always start spending time together again. Uh, but for me, there was always a very strong... Um, 
I felt like I just felt very clearly that God was saying, this is who I have for you. And this is the one I want you to love. And this is the one I want you to wait for. And will you say yes to that? And I fought God on that. I told him he was crazy. There was one time I told him that unless he sent me a letter in the mail telling me what to do, I was done with, done with my husband. I was done with, well, he was my boyfriend, you know, my friend at the time done with Chris. Um, and sure enough, like a week later, <laughs> I got a letter in the mail with this quote that was always chasing me down about, about patience and waiting and silence. And I was like, ah, Lord, you even said letters in the mail when we asked you to. Um, so yeah, so that went on for nine years. There's a lot of prayer, a lot of tears, um, a lot of not understanding what God was asking me to do. But I always say that when Chris and I were friends, when I was loving Chris as a friend, when I was not expecting anything more, but just being with him and loving him, it was hard, but there was grace. So at night I would say, I can't do this anymore, Lord. I can't do it. I can't do it. And I would wake up in the morning and I could do it. Like there was a peace and a grace and an ability to be his friend and love him. Whereas when we would separate and I would say, I'm done, Chris, I can't do this anymore. I need to go. You need to go find someone. I'm going to go find someone. And that was hard at night. And I would wake up in the morning and it was even harder. Like it never got better. Um, so really when I settled into like, okay, Lord, I'm just going to love this person. And if I never marry, that's okay. Because I would rather be this man's friend than another man's wife. Um, not too long after that, things really started to change with us. And we started dating and we dated for a year. And then we were engaged for five months and got married. But it's not something I encourage people to do. I really think God has to be sending you letters in the mail. <laughs> if you're going to wait for a guy for nine years, um, don't don't hang around. Uh, I dated other guys. I was always asking God to change my heart. I wasn't demanding that he um, he go along with my plan. It was more like, okay, Lord, you know, I want what you want. I want your will. Um, and yeah, it was it was a really really long, hard, painful time. But it trust taught me to to trust when I don't know what the future it is. It taught me to be in the present more and just love the person who is in front of me and not have expectations about what I was going to get from them. And it, uh, it taught me how much there is to life outside of romantic relationships. Like I got to develop, you know, my really close female friendships. I got to restore a house. I traveled, I developed my career. And while none of those things matter as much as my marriage, they helped me become fully the person I am today. And they prepared me for a marriage. So uh, yeah, so that's my story. That's so beautiful. Thanks for sharing that. Um, do you feel like that waiting during that time taught you better patience and hope. I just recently saw a quote that said something like, patience is not just about waiting for something. It's about how you wait or your attitude while waiting. So do you feel like during that time you developed like a great sense of patience or how did you manage your attitude as well? Um, do I, I don't think it made me patient. I think God, if I, <laughs> I think if it had made me patient, maybe God would have allowed me to have babies faster or something because I'm still waiting for a baby. Um, but it did. Teach me, <laughs> I'm so not patient. I'm a redhead. Redheads are never patient. We're just not patient. Uh, but it did teach me about hope. Um, you know, oftentimes we think of hope like it's a, a wishful thing. Like, oh, I'm wishing for this. I am certain God is going to, I'll get this wonderful thing. But hope is really about having right priorities. Uh, it's about knowing what's the most important. When we talk about the virtue of hope, uh, at least in Christian theology, the idea is recognizing that um, there's nothing more important than God, and there's nothing more important than getting to heaven. 
And so we hope in what's to come. We hope in the promises that have been made to us. So for me, really taking that attitude in during those years of waiting. And then again, during our struggle with infertility, being like, okay, like I love this man, but this man is not as important to me as God is. I want a baby, but having a baby is not as important to me as doing what is pleasing to God. And so having that attitude of, I, I love God more than anything. I want God's will more than anything. I want you know, to do what is right and not just what makes me feel good. That helped me with the waiting because it really built a sense of trust in God. Being like, okay, he knows this is my desire and he's going to use this to good. And so I can be joyful and I can be in the present and I cannot be bitter about the fact that I'm not getting this because I trust this God is going to give me what is absolutely necessary and essential for the greatest good. And that's heaven and not my momentary happiness right now. And so that attitude shift during those years and then again through infertility, that's made a big difference in my life. You mentioned infertility. Could you now share a little bit about that and your journey as a mom? Yeah. So I always wanted to be a mom. I wanted to be the mom with like seven kids in the 12 passenger van. That was my that was my goal in life. Um, and then as the years were going by and I was still single, I was like, okay, maybe I won't have seven kids, but I'll be able to have six or five or four. And as the years were going by, that number kept kept dropping. And when Chris and I we're engaged. I'm super, super choleric. So I'm very type A, like type AAA. So I was like, all right, I'm going to make sure I have all the tests done. We're going to figure out, am I going to need to do, you know, natural fertility assistance? What has to happen? So I went through all these tests and the doctors are like, you look great. You should have no problem having a baby. So when we got married, we were expecting like, okay, yes, I'm older, but my, you know, hormonally over egg wise, all that stuff looks so good. I wasn't thinking there would be an issue, but month after month after month was going by and there were issues. So I had a couple of different um, surgeries just to see if there was anything wrong, um, take care of a little bit of endometriosis. That still wasn't happening. Um, And, you know, I had thought being single was hard, (laughs) but the suffering I had endured during those years of singleness, um, for me, the cross of infertility was, was much, much greater. And that was probably one of the the darkest periods in my life where I was having to wrestle with God and just feeling angry at my body for not doing this thing that women's bodies are supposed to do. Like I felt like I was, my whole, my body was failing me and the Lord was not hearing my prayers. And I didn't understand why all these women would get, you know, my friends get babies by looking in their husband's general direction. Usually (laughs) they're like, Oh, pregnant again. And we were doing everything we possibly could and couldn't get pregnant. So it was a real test of faith. Um, it was uh, it was definitely my time in the wilderness, and so having to work through that and hear God's voice and uh, find our way to adoption, which um, which led us to our son. So now I always say I'm so grateful for our infertility because even though it still hurts and still stings, without it, we never would have found our son Toby. And not being Toby's mom is about the saddest thought I can think of. So. It's interesting that you mentioned how you were angry at your body. And it seems like that's a common theme with a lot of women when something in the process of either becoming a mom or being a mom doesn't go a certain way that women tend to feel shame about either their circumstances or their body, that it's not working the right way. I know that I personally have even experienced that too, just in postpartum experience, 
just recovering, you know, I, I remember having thoughts of why, why didn't I just recover like every other mom did pretty easily. So it seems like that's a, a pretty common theme with a, a lot of moms. So I'm sure that they can relate to that as well. Uh, could you talk about your journey to adoption? I know that we have some women who listen to our podcast who are struggling with infertility right now, or they're not actually sure if they are infertile. They've just been trying for a really long time to conceive. Can you maybe offer some hope for them and explain the adoption process? Yeah. You know, one of the hardest things when you're going through infertility is everyone has a suggestion for you. They're like, well, have you tried the surgery or have you tried eating, you know, three walnuts at 2 p.m. with your back toward, toward the, <laughs> way to the sun? And, you know, and it's so true. So yeah. ridiculous. Uh, you know, but one of the most common ones is, well, why don't you just adopt? Um, and Chris and I were always open to adoption. Um, I have lots of friends who have adopted or who are adopted. One of my best friends is a birth mom who placed a child for adoption. Uh, so adoption is something we always were open to. But when you're going through infertility, you have to work through the infertility piece first because adoption doesn't cure infertility. Adoption doesn't make the pain of infertility go away. Um if it's God's plan for you, it opens your eyes to how infertility was part of the path that he led you to that child through adoption. But not everybody who's struggling with infertility is supposed to adopt. And so you really have to work through the infertility struggle first. This episode is sponsored by Etitude, which is 100% organic bamboo lycosol bedding. This might be a little TMI, but ever since I became a mom, I've had a problem of always waking up sweaty at night between the hormones and the pregnancy and the infant in bed, and then now a toddler in bed with me. I just hadn't been able to find the right sheets for my bed that would give me a comfortable night's sleep. And whenever I shopped online, I was never happy with what I found. I didn't know if the sheets were made in sweatshops or if they had a bunch of chemicals in them. So I'm so glad that I found Etitude, which has the most comfortable and cooling sheets that are also ethically made and eco-friendly as well. They're made from organic bamboo, which is way softer than cotton sheets you're probably using. Etitude sheets are soft as silk, breathable as linen, but at the price of cotton, you're going to love them. When you support our sponsors, you support our show too. And right now, our listeners will get 20% off their sheet set and free shipping. So just use the code MOTHERGOOD at checkout for 20% off your order. The only way to get 20% off your set of Etitude sheets and free shipping is to enter the code MOTHERGOOD at checkout. That's MOTHERGOOD at checkout for 20% off your Etitude order. I'm so glad that I finally found my answer to the perfect sheets I was searching for, and I know you will love them as much as I do. So we, we did that. We pursued our options. We kind of let God work in our hearts to see when we were ready. Um, but for us, it was a very natural decision because we just we wanted to be open to life and our yes to being open to life wasn't just a yes to conceiving babies it was a yes to welcoming other babies into our home it was a yes to welcoming our friends into our home it was a yes to um, being spiritual mothers and fathers however god wanted us to do that um, and so once we'd sort of really prayed through that, it was a natural decision to to start looking into adoption. And we really, our first ad adoption was very strange because we had we had a baby offered to us before we'd even begun the process of adoption. So we we didn't have a home study, we didn't have the money. We were oh wow! In the middle of a renovation, and it just sort of the situation fell into our laps, and so we had to work backwards trying to get everything else done so that we could adopt the baby. Um, the second time around, we're doing it more traditionally. You know, we got the home study done, we raised the money, and now we're waiting and waiting and waiting. Uh, so the process is super, it is super intimidating. I'm not going to lie. It's not a fun process. 
Um, but I always think about it like all my friends who are pregnant. They don't like having morning sickness or back pains or sleepless nights or having to, you know, go have vaginal ultrasounds every so often. Like none of those things are fun. So me having to deal with the paperwork, the home study, the fundraising, the waiting, like that's that's just me taking on the pains of a spiritual pregnancy. Um, and so when I think about it that way, it's less annoying and it's worth it. Like you go through all the pains of pregnancy because there is a child inside of you who you can't wait to hold in love. And with adoption, it sounds corny and you hear people talk about it, this idea of a child growing in your heart, but it is so true. Um, you love a child before you've never met them. You want that child. And so you sacrifice and you go through the hoops and you deal with the crazy because there is a child out there who needs you to be their mother. And so that child is worth sacrificing for. And I would go through all of the crazy a million times over for my son, Toby again. So, um, so the process is always going to look different. There's a million different um, paths you can pursue to adoption. I wrote about it uh, quite a bit with our first adoption on um, the Catholic table. I've done some, uh, Q&As and stuff on Instagram that I think are all up on Instagram, people could look through. So there's things I've written that can give you an idea about the process. But it's really just figuring out, am I going to go domestic, international, work with an agency, work with an attorney, work with a consultant? Do I want to do newborn? Do I want to do foster care? Are we open to older children? Um, there's lots to research, lots of questions, but there's also lots of good information out there. So my advice is when someone is thinking about adoption is just to start walking forward and see what happens. When you're talking about the spiritual pregnancy and growing a child in your heart, that just gave me the chills because I've never heard that analogy. And it's that is so beautiful. I love that so much. I also loved how you talked about um, how you had to work through the infertility aspect first and how that's separate from adoption. Could you talk a little bit more about that aspect since I haven't really heard anyone really talk about that? What was your thought process through working through that in your head? And then also, did you come to a conclusion that sort of helped you come to terms with that or accept that? Or was it just kind of the process where you didn't have an answer and somehow you just had peace in your heart? Yeah, I mean, the infertility is hard because it's not only that you want a baby, it's not only that you long to be a mother, it's that your body is failing you. And I think we talk, you talked about this, you know, lots of women struggle with this and being a mother is so integral to who women are. You know, it's this act that takes place inside of us. Like men reproduce outside of their body. Um, and then they might have to deal with their, their wife or their girlfriend during a pregnancy, but it's not something that's happening. Um, it's not something that's happening in them where motherhood and women is such an intimate act. Like we conceive life within ourselves and then we use our bodies to nurture that baby and so when your body is not doing that, you feel like you're not working. You know, like I'm a broken woman. I am, I'm not as good of a woman as I want to be. I'm not, for me, it was feeling like, oh, my husband got defective merchandise. You know, he's, he could have, he could have had another woman who with a body that actually worked. So sort of making peace with that and accepting coming, not being angry at your body, not feeling like a failure not feeling like God has screwed you over because I think that's, you know, like, well, God, you're giving all these good gifts to other women. Why aren't you giving this gift to me? And that can create anger and that can create bitterness. And that's not a healthy place to become a mother out of. Um, and if you're just adopting a child with the, to like meet a need within yourself or to make the hurt in yourself go away, um, 
that's, that's not a thing you want to do. You know, that's not what's best for the child. That's not what's best for you. So we, I had to make my peace with God. I had to make my peace with my body. I had to accept that my husband, you know, says he would rather have, you know, he wanted a wife. He didn't want a breathing machine. So he didn't, he didn't feel like he got defective (laughs) goods. You know, that was, that was on me. That was my feelings. So working through that and then really going, okay, Lord, again, with similar to what I did with Chris, like, what do you want for my life? Like, what, who do you want me to love? What do you want me to say yes to? Um, What path are you leading me on? And when it stopped being about what I wanted, and instead about what God wanted, that's really when the doors to adoption opened up. And for us, it was so, I mean, it's, so once we'd real, so once I'd worked through some of that pain of infertility, saying yes to adoption was just saying, okay, yes, Lord, I want to love whatever baby you want me to love. Like I, I want to be a mother. We want to have life in this house. We want to have children in this house. And if you want to bring them to us through adoption instead of through pregnancy, that's okay. Like we're fine with that. And so that was, it was a shift in mindset. And for us, that's what allowed us to really freely and joyfully say yes to our son, Toby, and, you know, hopefully to another adoption here sometime in the next few months. What would you tell women who want to adopt and they're listening to you and they just feel so called to adopt and just identifying with a lot of things that you're saying, but they also have a lot of worries at the same time? I've heard one common worry with some moms before they've adopted is if they're worried that they won't love their child enough or the same as if they had their own child. What would you tell women who are feel like they're called to adopt, but have all those worries. They should watch the Netflix documentary Babies that just came out. Um, in the very first episode of the, of the new Babies documentary, they talk about a recent study that was done on the brains of both, um, on the brains of mothers. And so they were looking at women and how their amygdala changes through, through pregnancy and labor and nursing. And the brain, the amygdala physically changes in these moms. And that's what makes them bond, not only bond with their baby, but have that sort of protective mama bear instinct and be very, you know, caring. But then they did the same study on adoptive mothers. And the same thing happened in the brains of the adoptive mothers. Uh, So somehow, (laughs) making this decision to love the child produces the same sensation, the same change, the same physical change in your brain that happens through pregnancy. And I think that's awesome because what I've always said before I heard that is that God can do with grace what he does with nature. So all of the love that a biological mother has for her child, all of the attachment, like God, God pours that into your heart. Like he wants you to love that baby. And it's a baby. I mean, I, can, I was never worried about that because I love my, I've, you know, my friends all have a bajillion children. And every time I'd hold a newborn, I was like, I could walk out the door with this baby right now. And I would have no problem <laughs> loving this baby. Um, I love babies. I love babies. Everyone's like, Ooh, I better not let Emily around my baby. Um, <laughs> I was never worried about attaching and loving a baby. So that was never a fear of mine. But I do know that um, like the bonding that happens between a mama and a baby is real when you're holding that baby and caring for that baby. And it's, I don't know, I don't know how you could not fall in love with your child. Um, My son, you know, I would, I would be torn apart by lions for him. I can't imagine loving him more. Uh, And so yeah, it's a baby. Like we're made to love the babies. And when you're the one who's in charge of caring for them and tending to them, like grace makes up for what nature doesn't give you. 
I love that so much. I also watched that Netflix documentary on babies. It's so fascinating, every single aspect of it. And I think they talked about on that show, too, how the more a mom spends with her child, whether it's adoptive or biological, that the more you know, that part of her brain is activated, the more bonded she feels to it, which is crazy. So definitely encourage everyone to listen to that or watch that, watch that on Netflix. Uh, I'd love to shift gears now to talk about hope amidst an epidemic. I know I asked you to uh, talk on our show a few weeks before this all broke out, but I thought that your story in particular was associated with a lot of hope And I thought that you would be the perfect person to ask to talk about hope amidst an epidemic, because I know a lot of people kind of feel hopeless or at least overwhelmed and, you know, just having a lot of anxiety during this time. So how have you been keeping hope during this time? And how would you recommend others do as well? Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I have some anxiety too. You know, we all woke up in a dystopian novel. And we're like, oh, it's going to become the Hunger Games. What's going on here? Uh, <laughs> so it's it's definitely disorienting. So if people are feeling anxious, if they're if they're concerned, if you know you start randomly crying when you're watching children's shows, like I did with my son the other day, we were watching Daniel Tiger and it showed a picture of Pittsburgh, and I started crying. Um, no. That's that's normal. You know, that's a normal human emotion. Um, but it's there's a difference between emotions and actions. So to feel anxious, to, to, to feel sad, to feel sorrowful, to feel confused, those are emotions. That's okay to feel. But then we have to look at what our actions are. Um, and running out and buying up all the toilet paper, you know, is not a good action. <laughs> like that panicking is an action. You know, when you're doing that, you're doing an action that is not helpful and not constructive. Right. Or buying all the diapers too. I got a text from yeah. someone saying, go buy all the diapers. Don't buy, the di- <laughs> don't buy all the diapers. Don't buy all the formula. Don't buy all the toilet paper or the tampons or whatever. Like just buy what you need. Like, but in the day, the actions that you can choose that are help that are helpful for me is like focusing on the moment. You know, we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen in a week or a year. It's too much if you start thinking eighteen months out. You have to think about today. You know, who is in front of you that needs to be loved today? What is God asking you to do today? Like, what is your work? What you have to live your life today. You can't live your life eighteen months down the road, and so. Doing that and being present to the people you love. If you are alone in your home a lot, because you know if this had happened five years ago, I would have been alone in my house and going stir crazy. You know, but so start calling people instead of texting them. <laughs> like have conversations with people. Focus on making beauty in your home, even if it's only you that gets to enjoy it. Put on a pretty. You know, some people could care less about putting on nice pretty clothes. I like pretty clothes. So I'm going to, I'm dressed, you know, I get dressed every day. I put on, (laughs) I just started doing that too. (laughs) It's like for my sanity, I need to get dressed. (laughs) Put some lipstick on, like just live your life and create beauty wherever you are and love whoever you are. And don't borrow trouble from tomorrow. You know, that's Jesus talks about that in the gospel of Matthew, you know, like you're given the grace for today. You are not given the grace to deal with whatever is going to happen tomorrow, let alone the things that you are imagining are going to happen tomorrow. So focus on where you are and love where you are and who you're with. And that's, that's really all any of us can do. And, you know, pray, praying helps me a lot. Well, going for walks, doing, you know, just getting out of your house, even if you can only walk around the backyard, do that. Yeah, I've been FaceTiming people or I just started to yesterday and it already made me feel so much better and just 
kind of commiserating slash just sharing emotions. So everyone feels like they're just, you know, just you just realize that everyone's going through the exact same thing. And so that that gives you a lot of hope too. And also I've been reflecting on that this isn't the first time that we've had some sort of crisis in the United States or even in the world. So I, after thinking about that yesterday, I just kind of woke up today with a lot more peace about it, even though there wasn't anything tangible to have hope in, you know, I just thought, you know, we're going to get through this. It might be hard, but, but we're going to get through this somehow. And, you know, just as you were saying through prayer and just taking it day by day, I think that that's super important as well. So um, switching gears a little bit, I just wanted to ask you the final question that we ask every single mom who's on our show, and that's in line with our motto of that there's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. Do you have any examples of a time when you realize it's okay to not be perfect and it's okay to be a good one instead? So funny, because I think this is a, this is a maybe a generational struggle. So I am I'm one of the younger members of Generation X. I am not a millennial. Uh, and Generation X is just a little more chill about these things. So I, you know, I watched, well, that's yeah, <laughs> I watched my friends for the past 20 years have babies and they do, they don't do any of the fancy stuff. They don't make, they don't have all the sustainable clothes. They're not, kids aren't in all the, you know, they homeschool, they homeschool, they send them to public school, they send them to private school, they work, they stay at home, they work from home, they let them watch TV or they don't let them watch them TV. Like there's, it's all the more real moms you surround yourself with and the more you watch moms who aren't just your peers, but at all different stages in life, the more you, the whole idea of being a perfect mom just goes out the window because there's no such thing as a perfect mom. Like there's you and there's you being a loving mom, but like nobody's perfect. So you're certainly not going to be the perfect Mary, Mary, the, the blessed Virgin Mary was the perfect mom. Jesus's mom was perfect. Um, the rest of us, not so much. So for me, that's just never really been an issue. And I think that's why I just, I encourage, don't just hang around with your friends who have kids the same age, like talk to older moms, talk to younger moms, talk to moms who make different choices than you spend time with them. And the more you do that, I think the easier it is to just be like, I'm going to love my kids the best I can today and do what's best for this child and this parent and this family. And in this, this particular time and situation, because people change and kids change and kids are different and parents are different. And the more you see that, the less that desire to be perfect goes away. I love that so much. What, what about, I'm just curious, what's your opinion on super judgmental moms. I luckily don't have any friends like that, but one of my friends was just telling me about an acquaintance that she was trying to make friends with and she just went off very judgmental, basically telling my friend that she was making a terrible parenting decision. What what would you recommend if someone finds themselves in that that kind of situation and they kind of feel ashamed for the choice that they're making because of some sort of response from either an acquaintance or friend? Yeah, like whenever I see moms, you know, that that's a thing that I think very young moms do or moms, moms who've only had one or two kids um, ever and don't have a lot of friends with kids because it's very easy to start thinking, oh, this is the one way to do it. And if you don't do it this way, you're a bad mom. But, you know, a few kids that are radically different or, you know, you hitting a time in your life where something really upends the way that you thought was supposed to be done, um, that sort of gets rid of that judgmentalism in most healthy, normal human people, not in everybody. Some people are really broken and they cling to that. So I think that you just have to say, all right, they're, they're learning, they're working through this, they're struggling. I'm going to go hang out with that 
you know, 45 year old mom down the street who lets her kids juggle knives, like just go seek, out, <laughs> go seek out moms who are chill and moms who are open to learning and don't, you know, sort of shake the dust off your feet because whoever's throwing down a lot of judgment on the, you know, you must do this with your child. You must do, you know, all whatever they're, they're struggling with something and they're going to learn and they'll come around eventually. And maybe a few years down the road, you can have drinks at the playground with them or something. But right now, just, you know, go hang out with the people who don't make you feel like you're, you're failing. I love that advice. That kind of reminds me when you're talking about the mom that's super chill. Shout out to my friend, Julianne. I know she listens to this podcast, but she only has one daughter and one on the way, but I feel like she's the most chill mom I've ever met. Whenever I'm around her, I just kind of feel really at peace. And she's like, oh, it's okay. You know, everything's okay. And yeah, I definitely think that all of us need to surround ourselves with more Julianne's in our life. Well, where can moms find you on social media and online? I know that you mentioned that you have a lot of articles and do you still have your blog and where can women find you on Instagram, all that stuff? Yeah, my poor blog is super neglected. Ever since I had a baby, it's just been easier to do Instagram. So I'm on Instagram a fair amount at Emily Stimson Chapman. Um, I'm also on, well, I'm on Facebook, but I'm like, stalking Facebook these days for coronavirus updates. So (laughs) you don't want to read all about the different articles I'm sharing on the coronavirus and just my happy, consoling, pretty baby house stuff. Instagram is, is where it's at. So. Great. Well, thank you so much, Emily, for sharing your love story, your motherhood story, and also how we should all view hope and try to get through this time. So I really appreciate it so much. No, it was great talking to you. Thank you so much. I followed you guys ever since I pretty almost ever since I got on Instagram, which was just over a year ago. So it's great to actually get to talk to you guys.